Hear the word of the Lord, written in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of his majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent of the Lord, that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Excuse me a moment while I adjust everything back to normal human height, down from Schultz height. Both Jeff and Amelia were up here. Uh, I wasn't in my notes. Uh, good morning. I'm Pastor Joey, one of the, the lead pastors here. And, you know, I was looking around earlier, and I know there are some of you that I have not met. So if you've not introduced yourself to me, please come up and introduce yourself. I'd love to, to get to know you a little bit. This uh, last Thursday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, something like that, I found myself downtown in a cold and greasy and dirty warehouse. I was standing in the midst of a collection of equipment in various states of disrepair, attempting to rent a welder. Mm -hmm. This is not my world. Uh, I am much more comfortable in places like libraries, where I know what's expected of me. Be quiet, sit still, read a book. Like, I'm good at that. Being in a big warehouse where these giant guys with names like Bubba and arms that are bigger than my thighs are hauling around giant pieces of steel and equipment and looking at me like they can tell, I have no idea what I'm doing there. That is not my world. I have no clue what's going on, but I'm in the back corner of this warehouse. I'm standing in like the three square feet that the overhead heater is keeping warm, and I'm talking to a guy named Bob. Bob is my ticket in. Bob is the guy who's going to get me the welder that I need for a furniture project that I'm working on with a friend. Bob's my guy. He's my in. I have no authority, no knowledge, no experience at all in this realm. I'm talking to him, and he's asking me questions like, did you want the uh, seriated th tungsten, or did you want the thoriated tungsten? And I'm like, you know, whatever, standard, man. Just uh, put in both, and I'll figure it out later. He's like, what size did you want? You want the 332, or you want to go a little smaller? You know, let's just go with the 332. That'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just doing my best here to try to get out of there with a welder, something that's, that's going to work. And so if I need anything, I got to go through Bob. Bob is my priest. Now, priest is kind of a funny word if you think about it. I mean, we only think about it in terms of like a religious context, right? The guy with the funny robe and the collar and the stuff like that. Bob was not wearing a funny robe or a collar. Uh, but Bob was functioning as a priest. Bob was the guy standing between me and what I came for, between me and the thing I needed, between me and the blessing I wanted to walk away with. Now, Bob's not the highest priest at the rental facility. There are higher priests. The, as he kept saying, let me just call my girl in the, uh, in the accounting department. Let's see what's taken so long over and over and over again. There are higher priests in this particular hierarchy at, at this place. But he's the one representing me 
to the authority that can grant me the blessing I came to get. And he's the one representing that authority back to me, to get out of me the offering that I need to give in exchange for that blessing. Bob's my priest. And there, there's priests everywhere, if you think about it. Every time a person controls our access to something, something we want, something we need, that person is acting as a priest. They're, they're acting as a mediator between you and the authority that can get that thing to you. Which, of course, is obviously pretty trivial when you're just talking about a piece of equipment that can kill you if you use it wrong. But it's profoundly important when it comes to when we start talking about the, the big things in life, the, the matters of ultimate concern, those things that fuel all of our behavior, the, the drive for peace or satisfaction or meaning or purpose, happiness or comfort or security. There's always somebody or something that mediates that to you. Those issues, those ideas, those desires of ultimate concern. Even if it's yourself, there's always somebody acting as a priest. Representing you to that thing that your heart desires that you want and representing it back to you. There's always somebody you have to go through to get to these matters of ultimate concern. And the one thing I've noticed, if I can extrapolate from the, uh, the minor and the mundane to the larger and the little bit more profound, is the greater the priest, the greater the role, the greater the authority, the greater the priest, the greater the ministry they'll be able to have on your behalf. But the greater the priest is, the higher the authority that person holds, the more they'll be able to do for you and to you. The greater the priest, the greater reality, the greater the ministry. And this is important because we've been spending the last, I don't know how many weeks, talking about Jesus as our great high priest. We're going through this book of Hebrews together, and we've gotten all the way up to chapter 8. Chapter 8 is a bit of a, uh, a turn in the main theological argument of the book as our author sort of looks back a little bit and looks forward. He's recapping a little bit of what is to come, talking about Jesus as our great high priest. All of chapters 5, 6, 7 has been about Jesus is our priest. Well, what does a priest do? What do they do for us? How does a priest help? See, if you want to get right with God or ultimate reality or whatever force it is you think created the universe, if you want to get right with God, then you want, you need the greatest priest you can find to represent you to whatever that reality is and represent that reality, that authority back to you. If you're going to get right with God, you need a priest that can represent you and represent him and make it right. Like I said, we've been talking about how Jesus is our great high priest, the greater priest. And where the author has come from and where he's going this morning is... Well, I've said it once already, and I'm going to say it about 100 more times because it's the one main point of the sermon and all of chapters 5 through 10 of Hebrews. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. If Jesus is a greater priest, then Jesus has a greater ministry. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. If you haven't written it down yet, now that's your cue. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. 
Now, we're just introducing this concept in this morning's sermon. We're going to talk more about it in the coming weeks as we go through chapters 8, 9, and 10. But this morning, we're going to see Jesus is our greater priest. And because he's our greater priest, representing the one true God, he can have a greater ministry to us. Greater ministry because he has greater access and can present a greater offering. Greater priest, greater ministry, greater access, greater offering. One, two, three, four. You ready? Since there's four, I'll go through them kind of quickly, but we're going to start at the beginning, take them in order, greater priest. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. It's on page 30 if you're following along in one of these notebooks, taking notes and things like that. If you don't have one, you can get one down at the Welcome Center, but if you need to use the Bible that's underneath the seat in front of you, grab it, turn to page 1192, we'll track along together. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, which points backward to all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. Now... The point in what we are saying is this. And don't you love it when people come out and say, look, here's the point. You're like, okay, good, because I really wasn't following anything you said before, but summarize it for me now. What's the point? Here's the point. The point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. We have such a high priest. Now, we've been summarizing uh, this whole book of Hebrews under the title, Greater Than. You may have noticed that almost every sermon title has started with greater, because the author of Hebrews is over and over and over again trying to show how Jesus is greater. He is better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than us. He's better than the whole Old Testament system. He's better than everyone in the system. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than all of it. Jesus is greater and we spent the last couple of weeks talking about Jesus as our greater high priest. Because a greater priest can have a greater ministry. Right, so all of chapters 5, 6, and 7 was defending the first half of that statement. Jesus is a greater priest. He is our great high priest. He's a greater priest, not just in degree, like he's a little bit better than a human priest, but in kind. He, it's a whole new order of priesthood. It's a, it's a whole new type, whole new class. Jesus is a greater priest. He is the great high priest. There's none greater than there never has been, there never will be. And if he's a greater priest, then chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's got a greater ministry. Now, of course, I'm not covering all of chapters 8, 9, and 10 right now, so let's just recap 5, 6, and 7 where we were. The point is, we're saying is this, we have such a high priest. What kind of high priest? Well, one who can sympathize with our weaknesses, one who's been tempted the same way as we are, one who gives mercy and grace to help in time of need, one who has suffered, one who is the source of salvation, one who's an anchor for the soul, a sure and steadfast hope, one who goes before us into God's presence, who serves as a priest forever, who's qualified to be a priest, not because of his lineage, but because of his indestructible life, uh, one who can save to the uttermost, one who makes intercession for us before God, one who is holy and innocent and unstained and separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, and one who is perfect forever." All of that was in 5, 6, and 7. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. We have a high priest like that. We have a greater high priest. Everybody wants a greater high priest. My wife has had a number of jobs where she's worked for accounts payable departments, different places. And so a big part of her responsibilities has been calling a vendor, a contractor, a somebody, a business, and saying, look, you said you would do this. I need you to actually do it. 
uh, you know, holding him accountable and all that. And she's great at it. So anything in the house that, you know, doesn't go quite right or we didn't get the refund we were supposed to get or we didn't this or whatever, I just send it to her and say, you call them. Because when I call them, you know, I call and I'm like, hey, I really need you guys to do this thing that you said you would do. And they're like, yeah, but that's really hard for us. I'm like, oh, that sucks. I and I'm like, I mean it. I'm like, that's hard for you. You gotta, people have to call you and complain, and you have to deal with that all the time, and that makes me feel sad for you. And uh, it, I get nowhere. I get nothing out of that. So I send it to Jenna, and she calls, and she says, hey, yeah, I need this done, and uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I talk to your manager? Because, you know, when there's somebody who's supposed to represent you, but they're not fixing the thing they're supposed to fix, what do you do? You call for a higher priest. Call for a higher representative. You say, can I speak to your manager? She's probably said it a thousand times. She's probably said it a thousand times just to me. Can I speak to your manager, please? This isn't what I signed up for. When you need represented, you want the person who can actually do what you need them to do. Not somebody who can just talk about it and tell you, oh, my system doesn't allow me to do that. You need someone who can do the thing you're asking them to do, who can represent you and represent you well. So you ask for a greater priest. And obviously that works when you're trying to get $15.99 back from Amazon for a set of peacock feathers you ordered and never used. True story. But long story. I won't get into that. But that's like minor compared to who do you call and say, can I, can I speak to your manager when your kids are in crisis and you just, the pain of watching that is killing you? Or someone you care about, someone you love deeply is suffering from just a devastating illness. When you're, you're faced with that sense of, I just can't, I don't know what I'm doing, but nothing is going right. Or even just the general malaise of living in a world and you're like, I just don't know how I fit. Who do you call and say, can I, can I talk to your manager? Because this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we call all sorts of people and things and substances and habits and whatever to try to make that right. But we need, we know we need a greater priest, a greater representative, a greater mediator to be between us and whatever authority is out there that caused that to happen, allowed that to happen. I don't know. We don't know. We know we need somebody greater who can do something about it because a greater priest has a greater ministry. The greater the priest the greater ministry they're able to perform for us and to us. We need a greater priest in order to have a greater ministry. And, and that's what we're seeing develop about Jesus from verses uh, 1 and 2 in chapter 8. Look again. Verse 1 looks backward. The point we're saying is this. We have a high priest like that. All those 18 or whatever things I listed out from chapters 5, 6, and 7. But verse 2 points forward. We have this high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He's a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not, not man. Skip down to verse 6. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old ministry as the covenant he mediates is better than the old covenant. Christ has a better ministry, a greater ministry, because he's a great high priest, the greatest priest we'll ever have. So he has 
a greater ministry, the greatest ministry that we'll ever experience. So I was surfing the internet this morning, and I came across a pair of socks that look amazing. Socks, just by their very nature, are amazing because, like Jesus, they bring comfort to your soul. But socks, <laughs> I, true story, I did not have that joke first hour, but somebody gave it to me in between. I was like, I am so using that. That is so good. So these socks in themselves are amazing because they have a kitten surfing the galaxy on a slice of pizza while eating a taco. I mean, how cool is that? One of those on each shin? I mean, that's awesome. So say you see these socks or, you know, whatever socks appeal to you, and, and you're like, I'm going to go get these socks. What do you have to do? You buy from the internet, but for the sake of the analogy, let's say you go to the store, you know where to get them. So you go to the store, you find the socks, you walk up to the counter with your socks. Who's standing there? Cashier of some sort. He's the priest. What's his job? His role? His position is priest, but his actions, all the things he's going to do for you in this exchange is his ministry. He's a priest and a minister. Priest is the role, minister is the action, what he does in that role. The reason he's a priest is because you're saying, here's what I want, here's what I want, here's what I need. I need the vision of the good life that is embodied in these cotton polyester spandex socks. It, it, life will be so good with them on my feet. This is what I want. And he says, have you brought an offering? You say, yes, I have brought an offering. It, it's, it's this credit card and it's pure and undefiled. Uh, the stripe is clean on the back, so it, you know, it works. Uh, it's pure and undefiled, and I present this offering to you in exchange for the blessing of the good life embodied in these socks. And he takes your offering, and he presents it to the gods, the um, unseen, unknown, all-knowing all database that credit card machines talk to. And, and he presents it through the, the sacrificial instruments to the commercial gods, and then you wait, and it comes back your offering is pleasing in my sight, right? Or just accepted, but you know what it means. Your offering is pleasing in my sight. And, and because your offering is pleasing, he has, he has represented you to that credit card database, whatever, and said, here is, here's the offering. And, and, and the all-knowing database has come back and said, it is pleasing in my sight. It's a, it's a pleasing aroma before me. And uh, and he says, I can now convey this blessing to you, the blessing of the good life of these kitten-surfing socks. They, they are yours now. Go in peace to want no more. Actually, that part's not true because you'll be back tomorrow for more socks. That's the way the commercial gods work. But anyway, the cashier is the priest. He's the one who has to take the offering, make sure it's acceptable, present it to the gods, receive back that, yes, it is acceptable, and then convey the blessing. That's what a priest does. How useless is a cashier who stands behind the counter, chewing gum, tapping away on their phone, and just doesn't even notice you're there, never sells you the socks? Useless. A priest who doesn't minister is useless. A priest who doesn't perform the function of the office to take the offering, present it, convey the blessing, is useless. Now, what we're seeing here is we have a high priest. But a high priest who doesn't minister, who doesn't perform the functions of that office is, is useless. 
but we have a great high priest with a greater ministry. So when we call Jesus our priest in verse 1, we're talking about his role, who he is. When we talk about him as a minister in verse 2, we're talking about his function, what he does. And the greater the priest, this is the cool part, the greater the ministry. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. You go into, uh, we, we went into a sandwich shop down the road that was just opening up a couple of months ago and went in and ordered some food and guy comes to the counter and he's like, hey, we're just opening and you know what, you guys are the like, first or second customers we've had uh, on this particular day of this, our first week is like, so my, you, food's free, enjoy. Awesome. He can do that because he's the owner. He's the highest authority there is. A lower priest can't do that. A greater priest can do more for us and to us. A greater priest can convey a, a, a greater blessing because of their authority, who they are, what they can do. He's starting to argue here, and this is what's going to come in chapters 8, 9, 10, that Jesus is the greatest priest, so he has a greater ministry. Look again at verse 6. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. How good was the old covenant? Think of that. How much greater is the new one? How good was the old ministry? It was right in line with the old covenant. How much greater is the new ministry? Jesus is the greatest priest we could ever have, which means he has the greatest ministry we could ever find. Now, that's all he says right now in this passage about that, because he's going to take the rest of it to explain it. But just to give you a clue, I mean, looking ahead, he, he's the greatest, it's the greatest ministry because it's final, it's complete, it's, it's finished. It, it's not like those socks where you have to go buy, buy a new pair over and over again. It, it's, it's a once for all, done. It's part of what makes it great. But like I said, we're going to spend the next couple weeks digging into that greater ministry, so I don't want to take all of Jeff's cool stuff to say in the next couple weeks. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. The greater the priest, the greater the ministry. But there's more in this passage. He also points out that our great high priest, Jesus, has greater access. Greater access to the Father. Uh, you may have noticed in verse 1, as we, talked about, or as we read through it, talked about Jesus as the one who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It's the same quote with which he kind of opened the whole book of Hebrews way back in chapter 1. Talk about how exalted the Son of God is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he's a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The, the true tent, not meaning opposite of false, but true as in permanent versus the opposite of temporary. Now, the true tent, the, the impermanent tent was the tabernacle or, or the temple, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system. Saying Jesus is ministering not in the earthly copy, the earthly pattern, the, the sketch in the shadow that one translation renders it. He's, he's not ministering in the sketch version. He's ministering in the real thing, in the transcendent realm. You can't get a priest with more access than the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. There is no greater priest. And access, I think we all know this, is everything. Let's say, you know, for uh, example, um, your thing you want most in life is recognition. Recognition from, from your peers, sort of a quantifiable sense that the people you know and even people you don't know approve of and like your unique way of being you in the world, right? The best way to get that in today's world is a social media platform. 
you set up an account, people start liking things, and you're able to say very quantifiably, yes, I got this many, I got that many, oh, people like this better than that, I'm going to stop doing that, I'll start doing this, I'll present myself more like this, whatever. You, you can start getting a quantifiable sense of how much people really like you. Uh, and so you're going to go, because you need the access, to the platform that gets you the access to the people that you want, right? Nobody under 30 is on Facebook anymore. I shouldn't say nobody, but very few. I do know that nobody's on Friendster anymore because Friendster closed last year, finally shut its doors. Nobody's on it because it didn't have the audience. It didn't have the access. It didn't get you. It didn't have the authority to get you the people you care about to give you what you need in order to feel liked, right? In order to have the platform be worth anything. Access is everything. You need a representative, a, a, a priest, a mediator who can actually talk to the authority that can decide if you get or don't get the thing that you're, you're looking for. You know this when you call a customer service line and after 10 or 15 minutes, you just start asking, like, can you actually do what I'm asking you to do? And if you can't, can I talk to your manager, please? Because you need the person with the access. You need the person who can get you in, and there is no greater access to God than through Jesus. Part of what the author's hinting at, and he's going to develop it more in the rest of chapter 8, is like if, if there is a priest who ministers in, for us in heaven at the right hand of God, then you can't go through anything earthly anymore. There's no point to it. It's, it was a shadow in the first place, and, and now that the thing casting the shadow is here. You can't go back to the shadow. Go to him, the one casting the shadow. We need the priest with access who can perform that greater ministry for us, who can be that great priest that we all desire. Now, Jesus is the greatest priest. He has the greatest ministry. He has the greatest access. Fourth, finally, he's also offered the greatest offering. He's presented the greatest offering. Verse 3 kind of takes it back down to the earthly level, but it says, for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it's necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. You know, every priest, right, a high priest, they have a job. Every priest has a job. There's things they're supposed to do, and, and part of it is offer gifts and sacrifices. They have to be there and, you know, take the gift that we bring and burn it or wave it or present it, however, and to get the consecration or the atonement or the blessing, whatever it is that we brought that offering for. Like that's Old Testament system. That's how it works. The priest presides over the gifts and the sacrifices. They, we bring something, they present it. No priest in the entirety of the Old Testament system, low priest, high priest, whatever, no priest in that entire system ever once offered themselves. Right? Every priest was comfortably separated from the sacrifice, from the offering. It's the same with all the analogies of a priest that I've, I've been using, of a cashier or a manager or a customer service representative or a social media platform or whatever. All of them are comfortably separated from the offering. None of them gives themselves partially or wholly to represent you to whatever authority it is they represent. No Old Testament priest ever 
sacrifice themselves as part of the offering. There's only one priest who has. There's only one priest who did. Now, he doesn't go into any more detail right here. First, he just said something in seven, chapter 7, verse 27 about it, and, and he's going to come back to it in chapter 9. Actually, if you, if you glance ahead to chapter 9, verse 12, um, it's right there. He, Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. No Old Testament priest had ever shed their own blood as part of the sacrifice. His blood was the sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice, the greatest offering possible is the greatest priest's offering of himself. Both the priest and the victim, both the offerer and the offering, not comfortably separated from it, but bound up together in one. Jesus is both our priest and our offering, which I think has to make us stop and think. Right, personal reflection time. A couple of questions for you to write down and maybe talk about later. Is Jesus the greatest priest in your life? I mean, it's a question I gotta ask myself too. Is Jesus the greatest priest in my life? What makes him the greatest priest personally? is that he represents you to your greatest longing. Now, if your ultimate concern or your greatest longing is happiness, then Jesus probably isn't your greatest priest. Your greatest priest is whatever or whomever can give you that happiness that you're looking for, another person or a, a child or a spouse or a friend or yourself. Somebody else is serving as your priest. You know, if your greatest longing is to belong, to feel included, to feel on the inside of some door that you always feel like you're on the outside of, then Jesus probably isn't your greatest priest. Uh, your greatest priest is whatever, whoever is holding that door closed or, or can open that door for you. Maybe it's a group of friends or a social media platform or uh, all that stuff that you buy so that people will think you're so cool. It's probably not Jesus. You know, your, uh, your ultimate concern or greatest long in life might be security. The, the sense of holding back the fear that the future is uncertain. So your greatest priest is whatever or whoever can give you that sense of certainty in the future. It might be a home security system or a financial retirement package or a living will or something like that, something that plans for the future. That's your priest. Or your ultimate concern, the thing your heart longs for is success, to be recognized as successful, to, to gather all of the various trinkets of your profession and, and be able to present them as I am a person who has achieved something, I'm successful. If, if that's the case, then Jesus probably isn't your, your greatest priest. Your greatest priest is whoever or whatever opens the doors to that success. It may be your grades, um, maybe a boss. Uh, a, a friend that you know who, who has contacts on the inside. Uh, the college you went to, you know, if you went to Purdue or IU or something like that, you're like, eh, that's what gets me in. Whatever we want, whatever we long for the most, there's someone, something that mediates that to us, and that thing is our priest. So what is your greatest priest? Who gets the most attention? 
The problem is this. If you, if you think that Jesus, or if you came to Jesus because you think he is your priest standing between you and all those things I mentioned that you want, peace and security and comfort and happiness and, and meaning and satisfaction and security and all of that, if you think Jesus is the one representing you to those things, you're going to be disappointed because he's not. He didn't come to make us happy. He didn't come to make us secure. He didn't come to give us comfort and blessing, etc., etc., etc. He came to represent us to God. Because in God is all of those other things that we long for. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, uh, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it doesn't exist. Jesus is our mediator. He, he's the priest standing between us and God. And standing between us and God, making us right with God, makes us then right with everything around us. And we can begin to actually experience all those things we long for, the comfort, the security, the peace, the, the success, the, the security, all of that. But if we go for those things first as if they're the primary good that Jesus came to give us, we're never going to find him. We're always going to be lacking because Jesus is not the priest representing us to those things. He's representing us to God. We have to want and desire and long for God more first before those things will come. So is Jesus your greatest priest? Is he representing you to your greatest longing? Does your greatest longing call for Jesus as your representative? That was the first question. Second question, is Jesus your greatest offering? Is Jesus your greatest offering? Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, we, can, we can very easily, I think, get to the point where we're like, yeah, Jesus is my greatest priest. He is the one who represents me to God. So I am going to uh, wrap up all of my goodness, all of my emotion, all of my drive to follow him, all the good things I've done, all my selflessness. I'm going to wrap that up into a ball, and I'm going to give it to Jesus, and I'm going to say, hey, could you present this to God uh, so that he'll accept me? Right? I mean, how many of us have found ourselves in a situation where, where we start to think, you know, my life is not, it's not really going the way I thought it would. It's not going in the way I wanted it to. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe, maybe there's something I'm not doing that God wants me to do. And if I do it, then I'll finally be right with him and he'll, he'll bless me. He'll make my life go the way I want it to. Maybe if I just, maybe I need to be nicer or, or, or be less angry or be more forgiving or, or be less selfish or, or maybe, maybe I need to pray more and, and read my Bible longer and I need to believe harder and I need to do all these things. Maybe if I just stop being selfish, God will finally give me what, what I want. That was kind of a slow irony drop right there, yeah. Right, we've thought it. And we come to God and, and we, we wrap all that stuff up into a good bow of, look, you can have all of me, you can have this, and we sing it and we, we present it to God and we say, here is, here is all of me, take it and give me what I want. He says, what do I want with that? We are not our own greatest offering. The way the Old Testament system worked, you got a pure and undefiled offering, you brought it to the priest, he inspected it, yes, it's good, he presented it to God, God said, blessing. 
the way the new covenant system works. We come to Jesus, we say, I have nothing except the need to come to you. And he says, that's fine. I am the offering. And he, as priest, presents himself as offering to God and says, these, my children, are mine because of me. No other priest, no other priest, when you walk away from him, dies for you. No other priest, when you run away from him, when you say, no, here, I've got all this good stuff to bring, no other priest says, that's worthless. What you need is me. Jesus is the only priest, the only one, who, when we ran away from him, said, I died for that. I am the offering. We come to him, you know, we sing the hymn sometimes, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. We come with nothing in our hands, and Jesus says, perfect. Now I can finally do something with you. Because when we keep coming and say, here's my greatest offering, here's my greatest offering, I'll, I'll give you this part of me, I'll give you that part of me, I'll, I'll give you all of this of me, I'll, I'll give you all of that of me, here's my greatest offering, God says, I don't want that. The offering is my son. I want all of that only after you understand that the only offering that's needed has, has been given. All of that, wrapping it up in a bow and saying, I give it to you, God, is a response to being his child, not the way you become it. So is Jesus your greatest offering? Is Jesus your greatest offering, or do you come to, do you come to God and say, um, okay, Jesus, yes, he died for me, thank you, that was great, I love that. Here is, um, here, I'm going to give you my purity. Will you please, if I give you this, will you please give me that perfect person I'm looking for? Here, I'm going to give you my, my diligence, and I'm going to give you my thriftiness. Will you please make me financially secure? Here, I'm, I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you my, my thoughts. I'm going to take every captive thought for you. Will you please, uh, will you please just give me a, a sense of rightness, of, of being okay? Here, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you my children. Now, would you protect them? Because I'm not going to give them to you if you won't. I'm going to give you my spouse. Would you, would you protect her or him? Because I don't know if I can trust you if you don't. Would, can I give you, what can I give you and trust you with? And we, we think if we offer enough of ourselves, maybe it'll be acceptable. And God's saying, I already provided the offering. Is he your greatest offering? Now, I'm kind of stealing a little thunder from where we're going in the next couple of chapters because how can you not? Jesus, as our great high priest, chapters 5, 6, and 7, has a greater, a qualitatively greater ministry to us and for us. Chapters 8, 9, and 10. He can, as quoting from ahead, save to the uttermost. If we have a great high priest like that, how great must his ministry be? And if we have a great high priest like that, how foolish is it to trust in our own attempts to minister to ourselves? He is our great priest. He has the great ministry. He has offered the greatest offering, presented the greatest offering himself. So is he your great priest? Is he your great offering? Do you trust him? If he's not, he cannot have that ministry in your life that you are longing for and that he's longing to give. Father, you have given us 
blessing beyond measure, beyond comprehension. You have given us so much more than we deserve, more than we could ever ask or imagine just in giving us your son, in telling us over and over and over through Jesus that we bring nothing to you but our need to come to you. So all those things that we have held onto throughout our lives because we have felt that that, that's the thing that's going to give me what I really want, we let go of those, we open our hands, we drop those things, we come before you empty-handed and say, all we have to offer is Jesus himself. And we ask that you give us rest in that offering. Let it be done, let it be finished. In Jesus' name.